As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And welcome to Pot on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week. How he operates. The new manager hits the ground running. Comms again. New owners appear online and in person. And the sins of simulation, the Athletics gaming guru with his unique take on the Newcastle job. Yes, this is Pod on the Tine. My name's Taylor Payne, and with the sweet, blessed relief of an international week in full swing, things have been hotting up at the club's Long Benton base, with standards being raised across the board by the new manager and some players, no doubt, getting a rocket up them. <laughs> it's safe to say we've taken inspiration from the howitzer. Uh, the Athletics Newcastle correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, Mr George Colkin, join me as always. But chaps, this week, things are going to be slightly different. Um, we have taken some inspiration from Eddie Howe. We're going to be engaging in some podcast training drills to sharpen our oh, skills. George, what? how are you doing? Are you okay? Well, is this part of the training? We're not doing a quiz, are we? It's not a quiz, George. No, you will see. Right, okay. Are you, are you, George, yes, are you okay. fully invested well, in this podcast? That's the only thing I want to know, because if you're not, the door is there. Well, no, you've sprung this upon me, and I'm not sure if I am. Well, you'll have to wait and see. Chris, are you okay? Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned off-air just before how last night I was at a pub quiz and someone very kindly came up and basically praised both the work that we do and the podcast. And I was rather sheepish because I got a little embarrassed when people do that. So I just wanted to thank everyone out there and apologise for me being so sheepish in those circumstances. But it's very it's very uh, much appreciated when we hear people like that. That's a real a humble nice... brag. I don't really like, it is, don't really like it? to talk about how great I am, <laughs> yeah. but just to let you know that everybody thinks I'm great. Just a quick shout out to Chris's fans out there uh, in the pub. What quiz. a massive humble brag that was. Anyway, listen, listen, 
shut it, used to, right? This is serious stuff now. We need to start getting our getting our skills sharpened again. George, right. I need you to imagine yes. for me this situation. Newcastle United have just won away at Arsenal. Joe Linton has no. scored a hat-trick. No, I, no, I can't how? imagine that Newcastle have won. How? Well, you're going to have to because this is how things are now. How are you going to react to that when we start recording the podcast? Fucking hell, I don't believe it. Joe Linton's just scored and <laughs> Newcastle have won a game. What? Eh? I think that's how I'd react. Is that what you mean? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well done. That's pretty good. Oh. That's not bad at all. Oh, I see. That, for you, that was good. Chris, a similar scenario. It is the Monday after the game on the weekend. It was a Sunday. Sky Sports, Super Sunday. Uh, you have arrived uh, at the Newcastle Press Box to be greeted by a massive table of buffet, uh, only to find that there are no sausage rolls in sight. How do you <laughs> voice your concerns on the podcast? I mean, I have no idea what is going on, but in the uh, if, if that if that scenario was to if that scenario was to unfold, then I think that I would have to smash up the place and demand that more sausage rolls were made. There we go. That's the kind of attitude we need, Chris. That's that's exactly what we're looking for in the new era of Pod on the Time. I genuinely do not know what's going on. This week's edition of Pod on the Time is brought to you by a large quantity of drugs. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, now that we've reached full match fitness, chaps, let's proceed. <laughs> yes, the new manager has been taking training this week, but then you already knew that because there have been videos of it all over the internet. Uh, he's been shouting and cajoling, pushing and praising, and he's even done some running himself as well, which puts us in mind of those amazing videos of Steve Bruce sprinting across the pitch on FIFA. <laughs> I wonder what his stats are going to look like. It's a great pleasure at this point to welcome Pete Rutzler to the show, and he's currently the Athletics Fulham writer, but he knows an awful lot about Eddie Howe from his time covering Bournemouth. But George, you've got something to say just before we meet Pete, haven't you? Yeah, because I just want to contradict you. It's not a great pleasure at all to welcome Pete to the show. It's this is this is Rutzler, Rutzler the relegator. So just for people who don't don't for people who don't know, and they really should, Pete Pete got given the job of covering Bournemouth. They get relegated. He then gets the job of covering Fulham. They get relegated. And granted, Fulham are doing pretty well this season. The sheer just just the fact of him appearing on this show like a reverse King Midas, everything he touches turns to shit, <laughs> is an absolute cast iron guarantee of Newcastle's relegation. So I don't know whose fault this is, but really a dreadful decision. But apart from that, hello Pete and welcome. <laughs> what a welcome that is. All I would say, all I would say is uh, this is the first Premier League podcast I've appeared on this season. So, um, sorry in advance. Sorry, Pete. I am only joking. That was, that was, uh, it is, it is lovely to have you. And nobody knows, <laughs> nobody does know uh, Eddie Howe like you know Eddie Howe from your, from your time at Bournemouth. So why don't you just give us an overview of the kind of manager Newcastle have now got? Yeah, absolutely. I had the, well, I was going to say privilege, but sadly saw the end of his reign at Bournemouth. Um, but it wasn't long at all before you really got a sense of not just who he was as a coach, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but also him as a person and, and what he meant to the town. I think the relationship he had there with the club, uh, having come through their academy, um, he was a player, he went to Portsmouth, he had terrible trouble uh, with injuries. Um, and then, then the fans, you know, they 
money was uh, very much in short supply, but they clubbed together and, and uh, paid to sign him back. Um, a moment that pretty much heralded the start of an extraordinary run, which, which saw his association with the club lead to becoming the manager way, way back in, in uh, 2009. We're uh, keeping the club in the Football League when relegation would have almost certainly seen them go extinct. And from there, the, the story's been told many times and, and how he's gotten to the Premier League. Um, it's, it's important as a backdrop, um, I would say, because what you're getting with Eddie Howe is not just the coach we've all seen in the Premier League, um, the coach who got the team promoted from the Championship, but you, you're, you're getting a coach who's experienced pressure uh, in a situation like no other, really. Um, the relegation threat uh, in his first role as a manager um, was pretty extraordinary. You know, he had bailiffs turning up on different days. He'd be paying for equipment out of his own money. I, I think he's spoken about it himself in some of his early Newcastle interviews. Um, but that does prepare you uh, in a very unique way for the pressures that lie in store. Now it's a very unique form of pressure he will face at uh, St James's Park. But that's really carried him through his career to this point, uh, that grounding, knowing that really nothing's going to get much more severe than that, knowing that your local club, the club you love, uh, could go out of business if you don't get it right. Um, but he did. Um, and part of the reason he did that uh, was because of the way he coached his players, because of the way he instilled belief into his players um, and got the best out of a group who <laughs> were playing in extraordinary circumstances. This was obviously back in the fourth tier, but but then when he went away and then came back again, lifting players from third tier players whose career paths, when you speak to them, they didn't really envisage very much beyond where they were at that point in time. You know, when you, when you do fall down in the football leagues, you always want to climb back up, but actually having the belief to do it and actually then pulling it off is is, is really quite rare. But uh, under Eddie Howe, several players, I'm talking Simon Francis, Charlie Daniels, Steve Cook, Mark Pugh, Adam Smith, all of whom uh, took their games to, to a new level and, and <laughs> became Premier League players. And I think that's that's who you're getting in Eddie Howe. You're getting a coach, someone who will try and get the best out of individuals and um, and that's certainly something that I think Newcastle will benefit from. As far as his, his legacy goes with Bournemouth and his coaching legacy in particular, the, the, the tendrils of which, which reach out across football now, don't they? He's, he's obviously a very detailed and motivated person, and I think Newcastle fans will appreciate that. You know, we, 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 we like to see someone putting in the hours, and, and based on what we've seen so far from Eddie Howe, I don't think he's a man to shy away from work, is he, Pete? No, he's a, he's an absolute workaholic. Uh, doesn't take any time off. Um, and he, I mean, seeing the clips are, have been very funny and, and particularly the reactions to them from, from Newcastle supporters. But th this was all not, not particularly new from, from a Bournemouth perspective. Um, you know, the, those around him always talk about him doing uh, silly hours, spending so much time going over details from notes he will take, from analysis clips. Uh, Bournemouth was unique in that it was his kingdom. You know, he had his hands in every department. This was the club he had built. So there was a lot of work to do as well. Um, but the one thing he enjoyed the most was was getting out on the training field, was working with players on a one-to-one -one basis, was trying to to elevate people to, to new levels. Um, and, and he would do this in all sorts of ways. He'd always be trying to make things interesting, change up training and and find different ways to, to get through to people. Um, yeah, 
one one story um, I think Simon Francis told us about how you know the first time he met Eddie Howe when he when he came back from Burnley was uh, was on a walk on on the seafront and um, you know he didn't expect too much expecting just sort of a hello and that, and that kind of thing but Eddie Howe knew his career back to front he'd already <laughs> done his homework he knew exactly what his strengths were what his weaknesses were and told him there he said I, I can I believe I can make you a, a top player I can make you a good player I can take you higher and, and he instilled that kind of belief into these players that <clears throat> that served them really well um and and you mentioned there the, the hours and, and and whatnot and yeah there, there, there aren't too many um aren't too many uh people who will work harder than he will uh in terms of in terms of that alone in terms of what Eddie Howe's style of players? I mean, you and I are sort of working on a piece to, to look at sort of tactically for later in the week on Eddie Howe. But I mean, there's this idea, and he's come in and said that that he's all about sort of front foot football, attacking football, wanting the ball. Can you sort of explain how his sort of style progressed during his time at Bournemouth? Because uh, from reading pieces that you've done before and from from chats that we've had, it sounds like it sort of changed towards the end of his time. And how himself has said that. He almost feels like maybe they lost their way a little bit. They lost their idea of what he wanted his football side to be. Can you just explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, of course. I mean, particularly in that last season, it did feel like Bournemouth had almost lost their identity a little bit. They weren't really sure about what they were doing anymore. And, and a lot of that was down to, one, the, the sheer number of injuries they had in that season, which was at times pretty extraordinary. Um and then also confidence and how the the two those two factors can can play into each other. Um, but his his style of play did evolve. I mean, his teams, particularly uh, when we look back to getting promoted from League One and then the Championship, were very front foot. Were very much about taking the game to the opposition. Um, he liked to play with with two wingers. He liked to play with his fullbacks absolutely bombing on. Um, and it would, in in a way, it would leave his two centre halves pretty exposed to whatever was was coming back Just the other way. Just what we need. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so once they got promoted to to the Premier League, he had this core, and 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 this core group of players. You know, they had they had some fantastic partnerships in there, and they were a team of partnerships. On the left, you had Mark Pugh and Charlie Daniels knew each other inside out. On the right was Matt Ritchie and, and Simon Francis. Both the fullbacks would play very, very high up the field. The, the, the wingers would tuck in and he would play with two forwards. Callum Wilson would be on the shoulder uh, and the other forward would drop deeper. In. And in, when, when they moved into the Premier League, that remained the case. You know, the personnel changed. Joshua King came in and played that role behind Wilson. Ryan Fraser was a player they brought in at League One and, and, and he just kept getting better and better and then eventually had that brilliant season in 2018-19. Um, but they would again. They would always try and take the game to the opposition. They would. They would rather win games four three than than one nil. That was sort of the the motto, and they believed they could do that. Now the big criticism about Bournemouth was the number of goals they were conceding. Um, you know, in terms of the goals they were scoring, I think uh, their second season in the Premier League they scored fifty five, which was the seventh best, and I think it was actually more than Man United that year. So they were really an exciting team to watch. They were a team that, you know, I, I think Eddie Howe said this himself again uh, with with, uh, with his Newcastle interview, you know, a team that he'd want to watch himself. But in order to take that next step to try and progress, they needed to evolve and they needed to get better defensively. And it was that feeling, the feeling was um, that that would be better by playing more on the counter-attack, by being more of a team that, that break, uh, break swiftly. Uh, and they, they bought personnel to reflect that. 
and and in that process i feel like it that things started to break down you know in, it, the 2018-19 season was effective they played very good counter-attacking football but they still conceded a lot of goals um the ones they were scoring were brilliant. You had Ryan Fraser suited to playing on the break. David Brooks in particular came in, had a bigger impact than I think most expected. Um, and Callum Wilson, Joshua King, these are really good players in transition. Uh, still didn't quite solve the defensive issues. And then when we got to that final season, they just didn't quite fit. It just didn't quite work. You had more players moving on. They were trying to phase out this old guard that had got them into the Premier League, but were now getting a little older. They needed to be moved on or and the replacements needed to come forward. And they were trying to buy young uh, to improve players. And in between that, it's almost like, you know, it got lost down the gaps a little bit. Um, they just lost that real attacking identity. And, and even in that last season, the, goal, the goals conceded weren't terrible by their own standards that they'd set in the five years in the top flight. What was lacking was the goals they were scoring. And I think coming into this job at Newcastle, I think Eddie Howe will be eager really to, to get back to the goal-scoring side of the team. And I know I know goals have been in short supply on Tyneside for a while, but um, I think that's something he'll, he'll desperately want to, to address uh, as well as taking on everything else that he's learned. He's, a, he's the kind of coach who will absorb so much information from other people and is always looking to adapt to. There's been some amazing videos uh, this week going around on the internet. You alluded to it earlier on. Um, <clears throat> some of the players uh, looked ever so slightly shell-shocked by uh, the new approach from Eddie Howe. <laughs> it was incredible. And some of those players are going to have to adapt pretty quickly. I can imagine that Eddie Howe's approach to this and Steve Bruce and all of the other Steve's approach to this is, is going to be vastly different. Yeah, I think with Eddie Howe, you're either with him or you're out. It's um, good to know. There's, I think the... the the, the, the sort of public um, perception with Eddie Howe is that he's very much a friendly, nice guy. And he is a very, very charming guy. He's a really, he'd be very good with the media. He, he's uh, a lovely guy. And with, you, you see all these clips when you saw him recently, you know, when he pulled up with a fan trying to get his autograph um, after driving past. Like, you know, you, you, he's, he's, <laughs> he is that kind person, but, but you, you don't get to where, you, where he's got to without being very, very ruthless. Um, there are a few stories that have already been told, I think, you know, about, um, I think Mark Pugh was one, Mark Pugh was a club legend. Um, he was just told he wasn't going to get a new contract. It was time for him to move on. And, and as you know, that there was no sentimentality there. And I think one of the criticisms was always, oh, I didn't move the old guard on enough or I didn't move him on quick enough. Um, never, that wasn't really the case. That's not really how it, it sort of panned out. Um, Aaron Ramsdale is a good example as well. Aaron Ramsdale was brought in from, from Sheffield United. Uh, from Sheffield United, yeah, from Sheffield United, um, and the one thing about him was you could see his character at Arsenal. You see how he, he fans take to him. Um, he wasn't punctual. He wasn't he wasn't getting things right off the field. He wasn't quite professional enough, and that came to a head when you know he he was selected for a cup tie. I think it was against Chesterfield, and he he, he missed the bus. He overslept. Um, and that was it. You know, he was that was him straight on, straight out on loan after that point. You know, that was his opportunity, and he missed it. But by the same token that Eddie Howe can be ruthless, he will give them opportunities again. You, you, you know, there's always the 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 chance for a clean slate, and I'm sure we'll see that with Ryan Fraser because the way he left Bournemouth certainly did not go down very well on the south coast. Um, and I think you know that those two have a relationship that goes beyond that final season. You know, he was Eddie Howe was such an important figure for Fraser. Chris, as well, just quickly, there's there's been some uh, chat today about personnel changes uh, within the backroom staff at Newcastle. Obviously, Eddie Howe's 
brought a number of his own backroom staff with him. But what do we know about this at the minute? Is this something to do with all of the Steves? Uh, well, so Newcastle have not yet confirmed this, but it's our understanding that uh, two of Steve Bruce's former assistants, uh, Stephen Clements and Steve Agnew, have been with Steve Bruce for quite a long time, have uh, left the club now. Whereas Ben Dawson is still there, Simon Smith is still there. They've been working over the course uh, of the last week, and Eddie ha- and Eddie Howe has brought in four members of his of his own staff uh, so far to to, to sort of boost. Uh, his is well, basically, it's his long-term staff who he wants to bring in the club again. Newcastle are yet to confirm this, but Howe himself did confirm the members of staff have come in. So there's Tyndall's, Weatherston, uh, Purchase, and also Hodges. I mean, from from your time covering the, the club, uh, Pete, is there anything, any insight you can give on those? I mean, Tyndall and, and Howe are very close, aren't they? And obviously, Tyndall then took over from Howe at Bournemouth. Yes. Tyndall's an interesting one. I remember when when you see him on the touchline, you'll probably see him as the more animated one and, and how generally is quite steely-eyed and, and, and keeps his sort of emotions in check. Um, they have an interesting relationship. Uh, it was described to me as sort of yin and yang, you know, in terms of their personalities. Tyndall is, is the nice guy. He's the guy you go to talk to when you're annoyed with the manager. He's, he, he's that sort of bridge at times. Um, and they are different people. They are quite very different people in, in, in that sense. Um, but together they work very, very well. You know, Tyndall's not afraid to, to raise his opinions with, with Eddie Howe. Um, at Bournemouth, they shared an office. Um, they would be you know, working together on, on most things. Um, but there, there's no, there was never any sense of... Uh, you, never, you never doubted who the boss was, put it that way. Um, and, and between, between that, that group of coaching staff, you know, Stephen Purchase, Jason Tyndall played with Eddie Howe. I mean, they were, they're also Bournemouth legends. They played for the club. Um, Simon Weatherston was picked up where, during house time at, at Burnley um, and then Dan Hodges as well has, has come in at, at Bournemouth and, and done a very good job there so they are a very close group um, as has been the case at Bournemouth with, with, their, with, their, with the team that they built over that long period they've been through the journey together um, and they, they work very well as a group and I think that'll be that you know they, they, I, think, I think it's been talked about with the Celtic job as well that you know, Eddie Howe is good, but he needs his team behind him, and and, and bringing those in will, is, uh, was very important. George, anything odd? Well, I'd, just sort of a sense of guilt from my sort of really brutal introduction to to, to Pete. <laughs> I feel like I should immediately make a, some kind of apology. Um, but I do, I do, I do but before before I do get to the question which I want to ask, I must say that Pete wrote um, along with. Kieran Devlin, one of another writer's absolutely brilliant piece on Eddie Howe not long after he got the job, which was about this subject, really, what Eddie Howe brings uh, brings as a coach. Absolutely fascinating piece. I'd urge people to have a look at that. And um, Peter's also just been in Prague, the lucky man, doing a bit of digging on Daniel Kretinsky, the new, the new West Ham investor. So... I would point people to all that. He is a brilliant. He's an absolutely brilliant writer. So I do apologise. The one of the obvious questions I would like to ask about your current gig, though, is about uh, Alexander Mitrovic doing doing what he does, but um, doing what he does. But it seems even more so this season. Absolutely um, in in amongst the girls. What what uh, how how has Marco Silva gone about sort of unlocking Mitrovic? If that's the right if that's the right uh, question to ask, and what's he what's he been like this season? Well, to be honest, as a as a Portuguese national, he's probably disappointed that he's done so, um, considering the, the events of the last couple of days. Um, it's it's been pretty remarkable, actually. Um, I think the summer, it be, it almost became a case of 
uh, Alexander Mitrovic or, or Scott Parker um, because the two of them just weren't working together. It just wasn't happening. Um, Mitrovic had fallen out of favour. Parker wasn't using him in the Premier League. Um, all the noises were that Mitrovic was going to leave. There was interest. There was offers. Um, but once it became clear that Parker wasn't going to stay, um, there was still that doubt. There was still that doubt about Mitrovic. But once Marco Silva came in, um, for Fulham, uh, which includes the ownership as well, they really did their best to keep hold of him because they know how valuable he is in the championship. He was so important to promotion two years ago. Scored a... 26 goals, which at the time seemed like a bucket load, but considering this season was was small fry. Um, and and Sil- Silver 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 said a few times that you know he'd wanted to work with with Mitrovic before, um, that they'd actually come close a couple of times as well, and that he'd had a conversation with him on the phone, said he would be very important to his system. And to be honest, in in a really basic, simple way, it's just been a case of rebuilding his confidence because the last 12 months have just been awful for him. Good dating straight back to that penalty that he missed uh, for Serbia against Scotland, which denied them qualification to the Euros. Um, not playing in the Premier League, watching on as a, a winger, Ivan Cavallero is starting ahead of him. You know, I, in terms of what that would have meant for him, it's 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 been a real blow. But in the process of rebuilding his confidence, he's gone to another level, and I think a lot of credit goes to to Silva for that. Fulham now play a very attacking style of play, far more attacking than they did under Scott Parker. They commit men forward. He's getting a lot of service, a lot of good quality service as well, and he, and he's just he's just terrorising every defence in the league. And it's it's been it's been extraordinary to be honest. You know, he's the the one element of his game that I think has improved has been his link up play. He's doing a lot more dropping uh, in terms of dropping deeper, a lot more than he did particularly under Parker a couple of years ago. Uh, he's very much invested in in how the team play as a whole and their style of play. This very structured four three three that that Fulham are deploying at the moment, um, and we're just seeing a a new level of Mitrovic that I don't think anyone's seen before. Um, he's always delivered for Serbia. He's always delivered for Serbia, but um, the the rate at which he is scoring goals in the Championship is ridiculous. And I, obviously, the big question is about the Premier League. Obviously, that's the case, and it's. I still don't think we fully have a fair answer because of the way his two, at least at Fulham in any case, the two seasons that he had um, in the top flight weren't exactly the best opportunities in which to succeed. I mean, the first season was three different managers, a whole new squad, terrible season. He still scored more than 10 goals. And then last year he he was a bit part player. So who knows what he'll do next year if if Fulham can get back there. They're doing very well. Um, but clearly it's hit his... His link with Silver, that bond he's got with him, they've got clearly, he's managed to get his confidence back up and, and now the same goes on the international stage as well. He's an absolute character, isn't he, Pete? He's he's had an absolute whopper of a season as well and he's, he's banging the goals in left, right and centre. It's almost like he's realised that if he doesn't run around headbutting and elbowing people uh, constantly and getting sent off, he's actually a really good striker who can who knows where the goal is. Uh, one of my favourite memories of him was uh, him getting a knock on the head for Newcastle and then arguing with Rafa Benitez on the touchline about whether he was allowed back on or not. He looked like a kid who'd just been denied entry to a nightclub uh, on, a, on a Saturday night. He was <laughs> raging that he wasn't allowed back on the pitch. Alexander Mirovic, one for the future, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> he is only twenty. He's well, only twenty-seven now. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the astonishing thing. I know it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like he's been around forever. But he's got he has got a phenomenal 
record in the championship. I know what Pete said there. I, it is that sort of thing. I mean, Newcastle have got a player sort of of a similar nature in, in Dwight Gale, one of those players who've, you know, you, you just know are an absolute guarantee of goals in the championship and have not quite done it in the Premier League. But the way Mitrovic is going this season, maybe maybe he will. Uh, we shall keep an eye on Mitro and his, uh, his whereabouts uh, uh, with great interest. Uh, well, Pete, thanks very much uh, for coming on, mate. It's, it's, it's been great to talk to you again. Uh, we really appreciate your time. For full coverage of this story uh, and everything that's going on at Newcastle United right now, get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and subscribe to The Athletic with a 33% discount. That's a third off a new subscription price at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And speaking of players who often tore up the championship, quick congratulations to Andy Carroll uh, on finding a new club as well, joining Redden. Uh, We shall be back in just a moment after these messages. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, as the cogs begin to turn on the new Newcastle United machine, fans didn't need to wait long to hear from one of our new owners. Amanda Stavely sat down to discuss what the consortium are doing and planning to do in a refreshing burst of what I believe is called communication. Before we react uh, to all of that, let's hear some brief highlights on what Amanda had to say. We had to have someone leading the club that had had not was not frightened of relegation. And what, I remember Eddie and I talking about this at the weekend at the um, Brighton match. And you know he's going back into a position he sat in before. Um, so it's not one that we've sat in. Um, as an investor group, we, we were not brave, but it was it could have it would have been an easy decision for us to not buy the club just yet. Wait till uh, probably post Christmas post the January window, see where the club sat in the league and then make the acquisition. That would have been the safe investment bet, but we didn't do that. We decided we had, if we didn't get it now, it wasn't going to happen. And we had to take that risk and we felt we took a risk because we knew the club was sitting in 19th position at the time. Eddie took that risk with us, knowing that you know, there is always a chance of relegation. Do I think we will, we, will, we will, I think he's going to just do the most incredible job and the team and, and the first team. I mean, we've got a fabulous squad of players that I've become very fond of in a very quick time. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, I know that they're going to work really well with him. The welcome we've had in Newcastle has just been so, so extraordinary and so special. Uh, and so 
uh, I think we just don't want to let anyone down. And, and one of the things I, I want to do is, is be able to communicate with the fans and say, if, I, if, if we do make mistakes, we will quickly own up to them and put them right. So, um, you know, it's, the, it's been uh, a challenging five weeks, but, um, but a very rewarding five weeks. Investment is needed at every area. We've spent time with the academy teams and we've spent time uh, with the foundation we've, uh, and all of the other departments and it's clear that it, there's a lot of investment needed and we're trying to talk to the, the team, uh, the teams here and um, it's a big family and everybody's incredibly passionate about their jobs. I think one of the things I have felt is this extraordinary feeling of being in, in a family and people come to you very quickly and suggest opportunities and better ways of working, more efficient ways of working. So I think that's a, our first starting point. Uh, obviously getting Eddie in place was critical. Finding that uh, appointment was the most important thing we could do. Uh, and then now we, we need to make sure that the infrastructure that surrounds the first team, you know, whether it's new training facilities, uh, we're looking at building uh, a new academy and that's something which we, we, was on the agenda as well. We've got a robust business plan and we're developing that uh, every week. Uh, January is amongst us, so we're preparing for the January transfer window. It's not a, a window that we would ordinarily want to invest in, because you probably don't get the right deals, but that's something that is important at the moment, and preparing for that. And then preparing uh, alongside, working alongside all the teams. I think we've got a lot of meetings set up over the next few weeks um, with the staff and we, we look forward to working with everybody. Uh, but I have to say everyone's been just so incredibly welcoming. We're very privileged, uh, Murdad and I and, and the team and PIF and Ruben family to have just a fantastic supporter base and, uh, and, uh, and, and team here at the club. There we go, Chris. Communication. What's all that about, eh? Well, it's a very, very strange and novel concept, which I'm not going to quite get my head around anytime soon. But no, it's just, it's just wonderful that, that that there is that sort of communication. I mean, immediately when someone then speaks, because of because as a, my job as a journalist and because I am an actually sort of cynical person, I sort of I sort of think, hmm, what what does this what does it actually mean there? But the fact that we actually have something to scrutinise and talk about and actually discuss with with with. And for supporters to actually hear it is in itself so refreshing because for under through Mike, Mike Ashley's era, we never really heard from him at all. Certainly not through official club channels. It was he went on Sky a couple of times. Lee Charney very rarely as well. And already uh, Amanda Staveley having already given those interviews when she first came in has then uh, a few weeks in tried to give a, a, an update of sorts, 10, 15 minutes talking on the club website. And, and, and that in itself is just so, so refreshing. It is. It's strange, isn't it, George? I mean, these these sort of videos that come from official club channels will always be presented in a certain type of way, won't they? And they'll always have certain content. But it's still nice to see and hear something, isn't it? Well, it's astonishing. No, it is astonishing. As Chris says, it takes it takes some getting used to. But I mean, they've they set their stall out right at the start. I think I sort of said at the time on the day that the takeover happened, that sort of very basic notion of Amanda Staveley looking at the camera and talking directly to fans just made that contrast from the from the start. I mean, you know, even now when I'm thinking about that, it still feels pretty extraordinary when you've had this cold and aloof ownership, um, sort of not engaged, and in case of Mike Ashley, clearly not bothered anymore. Under the previous regime, you kind of longed for them to say something, and then by the time they did, they tied themselves up in so many sort of linguistic knots that it, you almost wish they'd shut their F back up again. 
And um, no, it's good. And it's good to kind of get an update, you know, sort of not huge detail on everything, but, you know, carrying on as they as they mean to continue. So, yeah, long. And I think I think one thing it does, it sort of takes it takes an element of pressure off. It takes pressure off the coach when you know that there's another voice at the club. And it means if it becomes more regular, you're not having to sort of unpick absolutely everything single thing that's said like certainly was the case with Ashley and certainly was the case with Steve Bruce when he was the only person that spoke at the club having these different voices explaining what's happening yeah it's just it's just so refreshing it is and Chris you you are a self-confessed cynic as you said at the top there um are they are they just making the most of the honeymoon phase here in charge or or do you think this is a more significant push towards a, a kind of focused communication strategy that they've got I think it is part of a longer term, more focused communication strategy. I think they are taking advantage of the honeymoon period and as they need to. I mean, I said this was way back when uh, last April, sort of May time in 2020, when the takeover was going to happen at that point, and obviously got delayed. I sort of said that there's going to be so much positive goodwill, but they can't just, they can't be complacent with that. They need to actually use it. And so far, in terms of actions, that they've come in and they've taken their time to do things and I think that they've been learned on the job to a certain degree and we've seen a couple of mistakes but what was refreshing that was that Steve Lee said in a in a in a in that interview when we make mistakes we we will own up to it and we will sort of we will sort of address them head on now it's easy to say that at this stage we'll see what happens over time with that but even to hear that it, it is great as well to that they're going to try and address those things and and sort of just trying to explain to a certain degree that their decision making process I mean with Eddie Howe we obviously know what happened with Unai Emery and and, and probably within the within the, the the club video that wasn't necessarily addressed but what she did say was that they wanted someone who was not afraid of relegation and i thought that was an interesting term to use because basically it sort of it sort of shows that although the ambition obviously is not it is to survive this season. They want to make sure they remain a Premier League club. There's also a realisation about the situation that Newcastle are in and that really at the moment, if you're an outsider looking in, Newcastle are sort of odds on to go down. They're five points adrift. They haven't won all season. And so they need someone who maybe, she didn't say this, but maybe there is one eye on next season just in case the worst does happen and that they can't just be cowed by the fact that they're in this difficult position. Obviously, what Eddie Howe's been through, as Pete Rutzer said earlier on the podcast, he was he was with the club that nearly went out of existence at that stage. That, that, that was that's, that's the sort of pressure he's dealt with. So this is a different sort of pressure and for for her to try and explain that decision-making process and, and, and what the owners are thinking on that is, is a positive just to hear that because we just haven't had that sort of information previously. And it was nice to see uh, Amanda Stavely and, and Maid Edgar Ducey turn up at the, the Newcastle United Foundation Awards dinner, George. Uh, really nice to see the owners get involved in, in different parts of the club and, and, and get involved in that, which is a, a really fantastic cause. Yeah, I spoke to Murdad on the day of the of the day of the takeover happening, just had a chat with him, and he just volunteered how much they value the foundation and want to be involved in it. Now that's a very important thing because I mean I think it's it's still kind of quite confusing for some people sometimes that they see Newcastle United and they see the Newcastle United Foundation and think the two things are uh, sort of absolutely umbilically joined, but they're not. The foundation is its own organisation, and I think it's well, it is fair to say it didn't benefit financially under under Mike Ashley. You know there was a there was a relationship between club and foundation which would see players do events and things like that but there was no financial assistance and just seeing two of the new owners there the other night important to say that i don't think we've mentioned this yet that the foundation won northeast charity of the year 
a couple of weeks ago. That's a brilliant achievement. And they do so much incredible stuff around around the city. It's something that Chris and I want to want to have a look at properly uh, for the athletic. But huge congratulations to Steve Beharrell and his team there. We saw again just what an impact the foundation has on people's lives at the award do and it's helping people in terms of mental well-being in terms of employment um, in terms of communicating with, with each other and all these programs that the foundation uh, helps do it it touches so many people's lives it's something that really all newcastle fans should be very proud of and uh, as we head to towards the t- towards the new year the foundation will be taking um, getting its own bespoke building which i think will make make it sort of more easy to understand what it actually kind of does when it has its own hub. But yeah, no, just really fantastic to see them there and, you know, clearly very taken with what they were saying. Very encouraging. Wonderful stuff. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and we'll see what kind of communication we get from the new owners going forward. But so far, things are looking fairly promising. We'll be back in just a minute with Ian McIntosh. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you didn't already know, the athletic sprawling tentacles have now reached into the world of gaming. And as you can imagine, George still rides a penny farthing for fun. And the closest thing Chris Cheeky comes to gaming twat. is a nail-biting session of backgammon on a Sunday morning. Hey, don't uh, diss that. So we... <laughs> Settle yourself. Don't talk about sprawling testicles either. I don't know, that's good. I don't know how you know that. It's the age you're at, George. That's what happens. So we thought, what better way to introduce our listeners to the new section then to bring in an expert please welcome to the show the athletics gaming writer mr ian mcintosh ian how are you doing i'm very well thank you how are you not too bad at all thanks a lot for coming on mate i know you're very very busy at the minute and uh, i don't want to drag you away from the important things such as uh, leading newcastle to victory but thanks for coming on it's great stuff no no problem you caught me just between uh, an under 23 fixture against sunderland and an under 18 fixture against man city and, and you know a couple of minor changes to training routine so just a standard monday Brilliant stuff. Uh, <laughs> this this new gaming section on The Athletic, uh, what, what's it all about? I imagine gaming would be the answer that you'd give me to that, but uh, can you give us a bit of an explanation in a bit more detail? Yeah, very much. I mean, the whole landscape of gaming has changed so much. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that George is, is also a veteran of this scene. Oh, and I've, I've been playing video games Definitely since... a veteran. <laughs> I've been playing video games since 1984, Jet Set Willy on the Spectrum, but um, oh, partly... Wow. Yeah. Oh, what a game that was. 
partly because of you know just the way the landscape's changed anyway but quite a lot to do with the pandemic um the the gaming scene's as vibrant and exciting as it's been loads of people who haven't played in years have come back um you know the the, the problem with football manager one of the main games i write about is that it takes up a lot of time well for around about 18 months free time wasn't a problem for quite a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, my, myself included, I, I got uh, right back into playing uh, a football manager in FIFA again, and, and the amount of hours you can sink into this stuff is is, is actually terrifying, isn't it? Uh, but, of course, this isn't just an advert, is it? This uh, There's a reason why you're joining us on this Newcastle United podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly an advert, let's be honest. But, yeah. um, no, I've... I'm... <laughs> You know, if you played Football Manager, you do this thing. A lot of people do this thing. They they play. They start a save um, with a team, and then they think, "Oh no, that's not the one for me." And they do a different one. And before the first two weeks is up, they've started seven different games and have never got settled. And what I wanted to do was just start one game, and and that was it. And just play it like it was a job, like actually scout the opposition. Because you can, you don't just watch your own games. You can watch the computer teams playing against each other, uh, and I do that frequently with a notepad and pen, which is one of the many reasons my wife left me. Um, <laughs> she's not. She, we've been together a long time. She understands. We just, you know, she chooses not to talk to me very much, um, which is which is fine. It's part of the uh, the part of the relationship, the kaleidoscope of feelings. Um, it's uh, it's it's basically an opportunity to go as deep as it's possible to go uh, on a game of Football Manager and new. Castle seemed the best place to to begin. Why? Why though, Ian? It's like we've got no choice with our relationship with Newcastle. <laughs> it's like we were born with this curse, this affliction, this horrible malady. Why have you brought this into your life? It doesn't end well. Why? Why are you doing this to yourself? Well, partly because I, I, I don't know if you guys, if this sort of thing resonates with you, but it, it's been really miserable to play with Football Manager Newcastle for about fourteen years now. I don't know if there's any real life correlations with that, but it you know, you take does, yeah. <laughs> you take over and you you couldn't get the facility upgrades to your stadium and the board wouldn't give you money and it was just every time you looked at Newcastle and you got that that sort of football manager thing which is, you know, they could be a lot better and I'm the person who could make them a lot better on what is essentially a sentient spreadsheet. I am the person to do that. And then you'd remember Ashley was there and you'd go, Yeah, nah. Don't really fancy it, to be honest. There's enough misery in my life. But this is the first year where it's it's all completely different. You know, there is money to spend. It, it, there's a, a reboot moment. Um, and I think looking around, when people have been talking about it on social media, I'm, I'm far from the only one who's uh, taken Newcastle as, as the first job. Yes, the uh, the two hundred million pound transfer uh, budget was uh, has been very attractive to a lot of gamers, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> people looking to get back into football manager. Um, it's it, I've read all I've read all the parts of the uh, of this story that you've uh, created for the Athletic, and it is absolutely astonishing. One thing I need to ask you: just how is your relationship with Steve Bold currently, uh, and are you undergoing it's... some kind of couples therapy for it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been strange because one of the things about writing these things is if, you, if you're just doing it as a one-person chronicle of your game, you you can't just sort of write, and then I played Manchester City, and I got my ass handed to me, and then I played Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I try and... I have this thing when I'm playing these games because I'm a very, very sad nerd that I kind of put these personalities on what are essentially these collections of, of numbers and variables um, and so hiring Steve Bull, despite his Sunderland connections, 
it felt like a good choice for you know rebuilding the the defensive side of things but whenever i imagined him and me talking i just always imagined him being very very disappointed with me um you know he <laughs> he doesn't generally crack a smile in in real life from you know i mean i may be basing all of that on having seen him sat next to arsene wenger in the you know tail end of uh, of that era at that club but it, he feels like someone who would who would not be massively enthusiastic about an idiot like me managing a football team sounds like my relationship with george to be honest <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that and ian ian is such a brilliant is such a brilliant writer he's done this he's done this stuff before i mean i've i've said this on twitter when i said that he was coming on the pod today i've never played football manager i feel a bit sort of ashamed about that because i I've, i have been playing games since the original atari and commodore 64 and i love them i think i always think that i think my i think my mental block with football manager is it, it sort of feels too much like the day job and having sort of you know investing myself in in the job i i don't want to invest myself in more misery when I'm not doing the job, it's like, and if I I still play games, I play games on my iPad all the time, but um, I sort of I sort of shy away from this. But Ian, what Ian does, he brings it to life, and he makes it. I mean, I'm far more invested in his version of Newcastle than I am in the real thing at the minute because it's far more attractive yeah, and likewise, funny. Likewise, likewise, it's, yeah. it's it's far funnier, and I kind of think, well, there's maybe a chance Newcastle might win in Ian's in Ian's version. It's a very small chance, <laughs> but I do. Um, I do recommend that people read it because it's um, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Ian, what's your advice for for Eddie Howe just coming in? What what, what would you what would you say to him as, as someone who's, who's who's managed Newcastle through this opening phase of it? What, what would you what would you say to him? <laughs> um, well, obviously, in this lofty position of having done it on a simulation, I am the best placed person to uh, speak to Eddie uh, about about what he's doing. I I think that the way that I've tried to play it. Is the way that I would like it to be done in real life because I lived up in South Shields for uh, a couple of years and covered uh, both big teams up there for for some time. I've got a lot of fondness for them, particularly, you know, a a lot out of sympathy because neither one's had a a particularly good time of it um, of late. And you just you just want it all to be sensible. You just want someone to come in and go, right, let's start with the facilities and let's get them up there and then the coaches and let's kind of rebuild the infrastructure and. And just don't do anything stupid. You remember when Man City got all the money and at one point I think they had nine first-team strikers. And it's just like, just take a breath, just concentrate on, you know, filling key roles. And and that's, I I guess that's one of the reasons that I love playing Football Manager is it's a kind of, it's like a a little thought experiment coming to life on your laptop. You think, I know best and I'm going to use this game to prove it. And then invariably I get fired. One game that I, I did put quite a lot of time into, it's quite a while ago now, but I've actually just fired it up this afternoon just to see if it was still the same and if I can remember to, how to play it, which was New New Star Soccer, I think, on the oh, iPad. Yeah. Have you played that? Yeah, that's great. But my, I think, again, my other problem with this is that because I'm sort of... Well, there's a sort of anal element about me is that I'm now a 38-year-old striker playing for Newcastle who's never moved clubs. I've, <laughs> I've made something like 3,000 appearances for Newcastle because I can't bear to leave. I can't bear to bring myself to leave. And I think that if I played football manager, it would just be that cycle of misery, never ever going to another club and sort of investing too much into it. I mean, I think, Taylor, you've you've invested quite a bit of time into football manager as well, haven't you? I have over the years, yeah. I mean, I I, I played an awful lot um, in the sort of mid-2000s was when I started getting into it. And then once I had kids... 
you would think that I would have less time for that kind of nonsense. But if anything, it went the other way. I, I remember sitting uh, in the bathroom. I locked myself in the bathroom at home so I could concentrate properly on a trip, a tricky Europa League quarter final away at FC Bruges, uh, with my toddler banging on the door, trying trying to get five minutes peace so Hang I could so I could Hang pick the team. Right, I'm just trying to find a number for social services. <laughs> Okay, just go on that. Yeah, but it's it it you get immersed in it so easily, don't you? And it, it it's ridiculous the amount of time that you can put into this. I think that's that's one of the things that, that very clearly people loved during the pandemic was that the you know the world was going to pot outside and they had this uh, their own little little private world where everything was normal and people were still going to watch football matches and and stuff like that. I think that the time element. Um, right at the beginning of game if George does suddenly crack and gets hold of a copy and plays it he will find like the first six hours of his experience are basically admin you know as you start hiring coaches I don't want to I don't want to do that I don't want to do admin though (laughs) but why would I want to do admin if you can delegate all of that away which you can do and and if you if you read my definitive beginner's guide to football manager on the athletic and um, there's a whole guide to just stripping out everything apart from picking the team and buying the players. And once you get through and once the games start happening, it, it's actually nice just to sort of jump on and play one match for sort of 20 minutes and then save it and jump off again um, and, and just sort of play it like that. I think that the days of sitting there and just smashing out a whole season in one evening are long, long gone. Uh, the key to enjoyment, I think, is just going, I'm just going to play a match. I've got Wolves. Let's go play Wolves. But when you say play a match, you're not actually controlling the players during the game, though, are you? Oh, good God, no. No, that's... that's yes, uh, all... any, anyone who wants that sort of thing can get FIFA. Uh, frankly, I find FIFA kind of... I, I can't handle it. I used to play sensible soccer because that had one button that did everything. And playing FIFA is like trying to land a 747. I have no idea what's going on. I want left, right and jump. or No, left, right, jump and fire is effectively... Exactly. I mean, that's not... That wouldn't work in Football Manager, clearly, because why would you want to jump in a simulation of football? But well, yeah. would, you, would you write about other games as well? Possibly. I think the um, I think Football Manager lends itself so well to to this kind of thing because anyone who's played it a lot will know that you know you end up going to Sainsbury's and you're you're doing the press conference in your head as you go up and down the aisles, or you're thinking about <laughs> you know, is it time to pension off your left back as you're standing in a queue at the post office? Have you worn a suit for a cup final yet, Ian? <laughs> I did once. I did. It brought me no luck yes. till I lost it. <laughs> Um, I wrote a book on um, football. Well, I should say I co-wrote a book. A football manager stole my life, and we collected a whole load of stories from people who'd gone in a bit too deep. And my favourite one by Miles was a guy who um, he was playing away in Europe in Turkey, so he wanted to kind of get the atmosphere right in his bedroom. So he opened the window and set set fire to his waste paper bin. <laughs> and he thought, I mean, that's outstanding, but also. <laughs> Yeah, you might terrifying. want to reassess life choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that at home. <laughs> yeah, definitely oh, don't. You do know, that I have to ask home. as well: Is how's John Joe Shelby behaving? Is he getting many minutes for you, or is he up to his old tricks? 
Um, not so much because he he wasn't one hundred percent fit at the start, and I bought. Uh, oh right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bought someone to step in. So he's, but I I control my under twenty threes and under eighteen. So I've been making sure he gets some game time, and uh, I actually brought him on as a, a late sub, and he scored the winner from forty yards. So I might Bollocks. might have to have another look at him, but you know, just something inside says no, no, just let him go, let him go, it's gone. Absolutely. If he if he tries to chip a free kick to the edge of the box when the uh, the opposition has a, a centre back in goal, uh, I would. Uh... <laughs> You're never going to get over that, are you? I'm never not getting over that, Chris. Before. I'm never getting over that. Anyway, it's never never uh... boring at your club, is it? Oh God, no, definitely not. You will come to learn that as you uh, take us to victory in the future. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Ian, thanks so much for coming on, mate, and talking about this. It's been it's been great fun, and I can't wait to read more of your uh, your exploits as Newcastle United manager. Uh, and please, if you get the chance, check out the Athletics gaming section uh, and get stuck into all that stuff. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on, Ian. <laughs> Sad news this week, uh, as we learned that Malcolm Dix, uh, the godfather of modern Newcastle United, passed away at the age of 79. Uh, Malcolm was part of the Magpie Group with Sir John Hall and was instrumental in the club's subsequent rebirth in the 90s. Uh, Chris, you've you've spoken to Sir John Hall recently. Uh, Malcolm was an incredible figure and, and much loved among among Newcastle fans, and he was black and white through and through, wasn't he? Yeah, it was actually Sir John Hall who called me uh, on the morning uh, to, to to let me know before the, the, the news was out there about Malcolm Dix. And I mean, Sir John and Malcolm w- were very close. Malcolm Dix was was made uh, on real life vice president of, of Newcastle during Sir John Hall's time, primarily because Sir John will explain that 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 Malcolm Dix, if it wasn't for Malcolm Dix, then Sir John Hall would never have bought Newcastle United. It, Malcolm Dix almost lost his house at one stage because he basically tried to take the previous board under Gordon McKeague. Uh, try to hold them to task essentially at the time when the club uh, wasn't uh, going through a, a good time at all. Obviously, a stage when in the eighties they're selling the best players and and uh, there wasn't the infrastructure investment that they needed. And so, Malcolm Dix really pushed that on. He eventually got Sir John Hall and the Magpie Group involved. Um, but also beyond just his, his involvement in Newcastle United, in, in the city, in, in the region, he was very important in Sport Newcastle, which is a charity uh, in the area which uh, pushes to to basically invest in youth sport and to try and really uh, improve the infrastructure there and, and, and help young athletes really progress through the system. And so he, I knew Malcolm well, and, and he was he was a lovely man. I, I knew he'd been ill for a while. I didn't realise how ill he, he actually was until until a few weeks ago. And it, it really is sad news, and he, he certainly uh, fondly remembered by by all and yeah, so John Hall basically was was calling to say, I want the message out there that that, that Malcolm Dix deserves all the credit. Everything that that goes on there, everyone talks about this John Hall era, but without Malcolm Dix and the Magpie Group, that simply wouldn't have happened. Absolutely, and um, I met Malcolm a couple of times through um, the the fans forum at Newcastle United, and and his enthusiasm uh, for the club and for the game itself was was just absolutely unparalleled. He was a a smashing bloke, uh, and he is going to be sorely missed. George, he's. Like I said at the top, he's the godfather of modern Newcastle United, isn't he? Yeah, and as we think about you know the change, changing of the guard now, the changing of eras now, it's something that should be uh, should be at the forefront of our 
of our of our minds. It took a kind of pretty seismic shift at the club to get it ready for the Premier League and to and to move up the table in the way it did. And um, yeah, very sad, very sad moment. So we send all of our all of our thoughts to to his friends and family. Absolutely, of course, Malcolm's friends and family on our thoughts uh, and, and everyone at The Athletic and Pot on the Tyne uh, extends their deepest sympathies. Well, that's it for another week, chaps. Uh, thanks for joining me and thanks again to Pete Russell and Ian McIntosh for their contribution this week as well. Pete won't be coming back on, I don't think, will he? I think Pete's been scared off. So. <laughs> yeah, I think George has seen to that. I don't think we'll see Pete for a while. Uh, we'll be back next week reacting to that Brentford game uh, and fingers crossed for three points. Until then, from everyone at Pod on the Time, it's goodbye. Sorry, I'm playing new star soccer, but I put it on mute. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.